Amen. Well, you can find your seats. And uh, my name is Jeff. I'm a pastor here. I get the uh, privilege of preaching the Bible, which is pretty awesome. And uh, I just got to say, like, before we get started, um, we need to welcome somebody back because I got a brother here that showed up, and uh, this is pretty exciting. So uh, Mr. Mark Tyler is back with us after being gone for a year. Love you, man. That is awesome. We're thankful for his service, and uh, we're going to get started here. So let's jump in. Let's open our Bibles. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, follow along with us on the Bible app, or you'll notice that our ushers are coming around. Uh, they, you can just slip your hand in the air. They would love to give you a physical copy of the Bible. We want you to have that in front of you. You don't need a message from me. We need a message from God this morning, and so we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. This is actually our second week in this book. I'm telling you, we're going to be in this for a while, okay? So just like we'll take a break for Christmas, uh, but then we're going to be in the book of Mark for a long time. So every time you come to Sunday, you're just going to know. When I say open up your Bibles, you just know where to go, okay? We're going to spend a lot of time in here, but just to recap what we learned last week, the, this book is, is really trying to make uh, an argument, okay? Mark is answering this question. Who is this guy? Who is Jesus, and, and, and why did he come? What, what did he come to do? And, and as we saw, if you're there, Mark chapter 1, uh, in verse 1, Mark makes his claim. He said, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He says Jesus is, he's the Christ, he's the Son of God. The, the Christ, that, that's the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament word Messiah, which meant the anointed one or, or this king. But he's not just a human king. Uh, Mark is telling us he is the Son of God. He is a divine king, meaning he's the only one that can come and set all things right and, and, and get God's kingdom established here on earth. He's the one that we've been waiting for. What Mark's telling you is he's here, he's come, which is really good news. Okay, so that's the claim that Mark is making. And then we saw that he's trying to prove that claim by uh, giving us some, calling, calling some witnesses to the stand. Well, we're going to get some testimony. And we got testimony first from, uh, from John the Baptist. He was the messenger that, that God said beforehand was going to come and prepare the way for the Messiah. And then we also heard the testimony of God the Father, who said, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. And then last but not least, we heard Jesus's own proclamation. You can see it there in verse 15. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. So here's the deal. Here's what's going on here. Mark told us what he thinks about Jesus. And then for the rest of the book, he's going to lay out this compelling uh, account of Jesus's earthly ministry so that we will draw our own conclusions. And it's not just for curiosity's sake. Like if you're a History Channel buff or if you, you, you know, if like biographies are your thing and, and you just want to know some things about Jesus. In fact, what, what, what he's really trying to help us understand is like he, he wants us to be thinking, not just like, who is this guy? But here's what I think. What do you think? Who do you think Jesus is? And then there's going to be an expectation that we're going to respond to that. There's kind of got to be a, a, a so what? Like, like if he really is the Christ, the son of God, what does that mean for my life? Which means that, that Mark is going to introduce this morning a, a, a new theme. And this is going to be a really important one, a theme that he is going to thread through the rest of this book because he's also asking this question. What does it mean to be a disciple of this man, Jesus? Well, well, who is this guy? 
But who are his disciples? What, what, what do they do? And, and if you're anything like me, your ears perk up at that. Because as soon as I hear the word disciples, I'm thinking mission. Like our mission here at Harvest. You know our mission statement? Our mission is to glorify God that's vertical through the fulfillment of the, come on, say it. Man, you're just making your pastor proud. I love it when you get that down. So the Great Commission. We want to fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission is, if you actually turn a page back, you'll see it at the end of Matthew. At the very end, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the point. We want to make disciples. Can I tell you, um, I am really, really glad that you are here. I love seeing you here. And I'm, I'm glad that you showed up to worship with us. But getting you into a seat is not the end goal. Filling an auditorium is not fulfilling the Great Commission. Like as a church, we want to make sure that we are making disciples. And so we're going to emphasize quality before quantity around here. And our goal is to make you, I want to make you a disciple. We want to take you on a journey from that seat to someday standing before the King of glory and hearing these words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be awesome? You want to hear that? Well, if you want to hear those words from the mouth of Jesus after your life is spent, then you need the book of Mark tell you what being a disciple means and looks like. And so this morning, we're just kind of identifying disciples. Who are they? What do they do? And so we're going to we're going to get into the text here in just a minute. We're going to slow down. I know we, we, we bit off a lot last week, so we're, we're, we're going to change gears a little bit here. And if I could give you a big idea of the text of where we're going, I'm just going to keep it really simple, okay? Here's, here's kind of our big idea this morning. Jesus wants you to be his disciple. You know that? Can we just, like, make it personal? Jesus wants you to be his disciple. Why don't you help your neighbor out, turn to him and say, he wants you. Come on, wake him up. We're going to make this really personal, okay? Let's get into the Word and see this there in the text. Mark chapter 1. If you're there, follow along with me as I start reading in verse 14. Verse 14, Mark says, Now, after John was arrested, and you're like, wait a minute, we read that last week. I know we're like overlapping a little bit. I think you'll get it, okay? Uh, now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately, he loves that word, immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and they followed him. Father, I'm just praying that you're going to make it clear to us as we're getting into this book, what does it look like for us to be disciples? Lord, if we could make disciples, we believe that you would get glory in that. And so I pray that our church would be one where we're, we're being faithful to this and we're being fruitful and we're seeing disciples made. 
disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Lord, I'm praying that that would be true of us, that you would be pleased with what is being done here, that you would look down on this this little church. We're just trying to be humble before you and do what your word says. Would you speak to us this morning? Would you help these things to be true of us so that you, you, are, you are pleased and say, man, I'll, I'll send them more. Make more disciples and you get more glory. God, we love you. Thank you so much for speaking to us. I, I pray that we would hear from you and be doers of your word as well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're identifying disciples. Let me uh, give you three marks of a disciple that I think we see in this text. Ready? Here's the first one. Disciples have faith. Disciples have faith. Like we, we just want to make sure right up front at the beginning that we get the gospel right because you can't be a disciple unless you believe the gospel. So we need to make sure that we get that right because here's what he's saying. Look, look at it, verse 15. Jesus, here's his message Repent and believe in the gospel. Meaning Jesus comes proclaiming the gospel in, 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 in verse 14, but there's an expectation that you're going to respond to that. What he's kind of saying is like, listen guys, I got great news. That's, that's the gospel. I got good news to tell you. Now here's what you need to do. You need to repent and believe. So he's expecting us not to just be hearers of this message, like, oh, sweet, thanks for telling me the good news. But there's, we're to be doers as well. We are to respond and react in this. And the first thing that we're learning about discipleship is that disciples put their faith in Jesus. We believe in the gospel. We put our faith in Jesus. Let's get this right. Not our performance, but the person of Christ. Remember, Jesus came and he knew what his mission was from the beginning. We saw that last week that when, when, he, uh, when he was baptized, he was identifying with sinners because he knew why the Father had sent him. And he's going to tell us later in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, you're going to want to know this verse, okay? If I could tell you, this is like the key verse in the entire book. You need to have this starred, underlined. If you want to understand the gospel of Mark, it's right there. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What I'm trying to tell you is Jesus knew before he came why he was here. And Jesus did not come to lay down a bunch of rules that you and I have to follow in order to be right with God. Jesus came to serve by laying down his life for us on the cross. We need to get that really clear here because you don't want to buy the lie of religion. Remember, religion tells us that we got to, I got to try harder and you got to be good enough and you just got to work a little bit harder at it. You got to, you got to be a good person. And I'm telling you, if that's the way you think that this works, then you're going to be putting your faith in yourself. You're going to be trusting in what, what, what you can do, what you can accomplish. And can we just admit that that's not good news? Like, if that's why Jesus came, like, hey, hey, guys, I got great news for you. I got the rule book, all right? I'm going to spell it all out. It's going to be really clear that that's not encouraging because now I know all the rules that I'm not going to be able to follow. That's what that means. And, and if you're living like that, then honestly, you're going to be trusting in yourself and wondering constantly if you ever, if, have I done enough good that outweighs the bad? Am I good enough? Can I really be forgiven? And you're, you're going to be gambling with your eternity with no confidence that you really could be forgiven. Like, I don't know. At the end of the day, it's kind of up to God. I don't, I don't know. But that's not the gospel. See, see, religion says do, but remember Jesus says done. Look at what I have done for you. 
by taking your place, dying on the cross so that you could be forgiven. So when Jesus comes and he says, hey, everybody, I want you, you need to repent and you need to believe. Disciples understand that that means we are sinners who deserve judgment. Like I'm in trouble, okay? I am in trouble and repenting is turning. So I'm turning from sin to the only one who could save me. Uh, like God, I'm at your mercy. Like I get it. There's, there's nowhere else for me to turn. And can you forgive me? And his answer is, that's why I sent my son. And so if, 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 if we get this right from the start, disciples have faith. But don't think of your faith as some sort of like resume that you're building of, you know, like, you know, accomplishments or, or, or good works or, or I got to have the, the right doctrine in there. Like I got to impress God somehow. It's not. We're just simply putting our faith in Jesus and what he's done. But remember the context that Mark is writing to. Mark, remember, Mark is, is better known as John Mark, and, and what he was doing was collecting the uh, eyewitness accounts of the disciple Peter. And he's writing to Gentile Christians, it seems, in the city of Rome. And if you know anything about those Christians, they are undergoing some serious persecution. They're being burned and thrown to wild animals and torn apart. I mean, they are living under this this crazy persecution. And many Christians through the years who have been reading this book have faced the same threat. That if you are going to be a disciple, if you are going to put your faith in the person of Jesus, then there's going to be a price to pay for that. That doesn't come easy. And I, and I know that because he's given us this little, little detail as a reminder. Look, look back at verse 14 again. and When did Jesus come into Galilee proclaiming the gospel? What does this say? It says he did that after John was arrested. I mean, it's kind of like a seemingly insignificant detail that he would include, but remember, Mark is a masterful storyteller. And so what he's doing in that moment is he's reminding these believers, he's helping them understand that this whole discussion on discipleship is couched in the fact that it means we're going to suffer. Look at John. I mean, there's no, it only takes a couple words in the text, but man, that would have been really public for them. Everybody would have known. I mean, look at that guy. He's out there. And I mean, you want to talk about somebody that's like sold out to God. He, he's on fire. He's, 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 he's passionate and he's on mission. He's obedient. He's fruitful. He's got this awesome ministry. And what happens to him? He gets arrested. And then in, in a few chapters later, in chapter six, he's going to tell us that John gets beheaded. And what he's saying is like, there's, there's a real tangible threat. And, and it's almost kind of ironic encouragement for any of these believers that are suffering under persecution. He's like, hey, listen, guys, you're, you're not alone. You're not alone. Because if you love Jesus, then you have to understand that our sinful world hates Jesus. And so if you identify with him, then you're going to be hated too. Jesus is going to tell us that in chapter 13. He's going to say, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. John 15, 18, he says, like, don't, don't, don't misunderstand. It's not, it's not you, okay? If, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. All right, show of hands. How many of you enjoy being hated? I mean, anybody, like, get your kicks out of being the bad guy and somebody's out like you, like, being the villain? Like, I thought we'd have somebody weird in here that we could point fingers at, but apparently not. Nobody, no, we don't want to do that, right? 
Like, I want to avoid being hated. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, I, like, I like being liked, okay? Like, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I, I, I'm not trying to be anybody's enemy. I, I want to be safe and loved. I want, I want people to like. Nobody, nobody wants to be hated. But what he's helping us understand is right from the beginning, Mark is making it clear that discipleship is a faith that is costly. That, that, that's why making disciples is not as easy as, as, as just filling chairs. It's not always just fun and comfortable and easy and come on, we're going to go and, and, and follow Jesus. We're going to have some lattes with Jesus. It's not like that. What he's trying to help us understand right from the beginning is if you mean this, if you're going to follow him, this faith is costly. And, and I, I, if we can just be honest, like maybe, maybe this isn't a threat to us. Maybe we don't feel this in the United States. But what if, what if it really meant, if it really meant that you would lose your life would you give up your faith in Jesus? Would, would, would you do that? Because remember, Mark's trying to write to these people that, that he knows that every time that they, every time they gather together for, for worship, they get together, hey, it's never just another Sunday. We're, we're gathering together to worship Christ. It's going to be awesome. But they know that every time they get together, they don't know if this is the last time they'll ever see one another. Man, they're out to get us. And I realize that that may not, we, we may not feel that tangible threat here, but where are the disciples in Northern Virginia today who would say, I believe in Jesus, even if that means I'll be hated, he is worth it. I want to live for him. There's a passion and an understanding that real disciples have a faith that doesn't waver even under the threat of persecution. And discipleship is, is costly. But we say, like, don't, don't lose heart, don't. Don't, don't lose your faith in this. Notice what, he, notice what he doesn't tell us. Jesus does not come, um, I mean, he's the king, right? But he doesn't come raising up an army and training anybody in hand-to-hand -hand physical combat so that they can, you know, like fight their oppressors and, and, and take out the enemy. In fact, his approach is pretty radical. He says things like, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What? <laughs> they hate us. Like, hate them. And then a few years later, Mark's going to say, or, or uh, Paul is going to say, rather, while he's imprisoned unjustly, he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He tells us we're, we're actually in a, we're in a spiritual warfare. So what scripture is trying to help us understand is that the real enemy is not the, the crowds or the terrorists or the governments that would hate us. Don't, don't hate them. What, where's the encouragement here? I need some encouragement. Well, he just told us. Remember, he just told us that Jesus had walked into battle with the enemy, Satan, in verses 12 and 13. Remember that? He's trying to tell you, like, our Savior knows what it means to face evil too. I want you to look at it because uh, he includes another little detail I find fascinating. Verse 13, he says he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was, you see it, with the wild animals. So, so Matthew and, and Luke, they record Jesus' temptation. But Mark is the only one who includes that little detail. And it may be because he knows he's writing to people living in the city of Rome living under the palpable threat that they could be thrown to the wild animals in the Colosseum just for sport. 
You understand, like this is the context. This is where we live it out. Yes, it's costly, but don't lose heart. Don't look at the threat. Look at Jesus. He's the one who walked into battle with Satan and he walked out untouched, proving that he's the one. He's the only one who could defeat the evil one and defeat the enemy and set all things right again. And so we have no reason reason to lose faith in him. If we're believing in the gospel, if we know uh, that, that those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ, we know that we will have eternal life. That's his gift to us. And if I know that I have eternal life, then that means I don't have to hold on to this life with a fear of losing it. I can't touch that faith. Disciples have faith. Here's the second mark of disciples of Jesus. Disciples follow. Disciples follow. So, so, so let's move on in the text. Verse, verse 16 now. Okay, here we, here we go. Uh, Jesus uh, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. So I got a picture of this up here because I really want you to be able to like see this in, in your mind. This is, this is the Sea of Galilee. Okay, Jesus is going to do a whole lot of ministry here. It's kind of a large body of water. It's about 64 square miles, literally almost the size of Washington, D.C., Okay, he's going to do a whole lot of ministry here, and I wanted you to be able to kind of like get this in your head. He's walking along the shore, and please don't think that that means that this is your justification for going and moving to the ocean. Like, you know, like I just want to be like Jesus, and, and he started his ministry by the beach. Like, that's, it's not that exotic, and that's not why he went. Here's why he went. He said he saw Simon. Who's that? That's Peter and Andrew, the brother of Simon. So it's, it's like there's like the first person that we're focusing on, right, is Peter, which we would assume if it's really his memoirs, if this is his account, that we're just going to see him all over the place, okay? What are they doing? They are casting their net into the sea for they were fishermen. So what's crazy to me is that Jesus goes down to the sea instead of, you would think, maybe if he's looking for disciples, the first place that he would start is in like the synagogue. I mean, you'd think that that'd be a really good place to find people that are religious and, and really passionate about God. Or, or maybe you go down to the city and, and, and you, you, like, you find the, the, the new recruits, the new graduate, graduates, the ones that have the best minds, the most potential. I mean, if, you want, if, if we want quality disciples, Jesus, then we got to know, we got to start with the best, right? You got to know where you're looking. You don't, if you go to the wrong place, it's kind of like trying to recruit hockey players in Florida. You got to know where to look for the best ones. And but what's fascinating to me is Jesus goes down to this. He goes down to the docks to the working class businessmen. Can I just tell you, there's some encouragement here that Jesus wants you to be his disciple. And it doesn't matter if you didn't grow up around church, you don't have a Bible degree, you don't know all the words to amazing grace, you couldn't find Psalm 23 if you didn't have a table of contents. And honestly, if your high school buddies knew that you were here this morning, they'd be shocked that you were in a church. It doesn't matter. Jesus is not appraising your past or your pedigree, but he's pressing in on you to pursue him. And here's what he says, verse 17. Here's the call. Follow me. Follow me. Uh, those, those words literally, would, would, but what he's saying is like, come here, come here and, and get behind me, come after me, right? I'm going to walk, you go behind me, and you just go where I go. And notice that, that that's just a command. That's, that's all he gives us. Mark doesn't record uh, any, any signs or proofs. Jesus didn't do any cool card tricks to like show them that like he was really the son of God. He just said like this call is issued on the authority of Jesus's words alone. That's it. And I, can I tell you, this is weird. 
This is weird that he would do this. Okay, it was, it was kind of normal that they would have, you know, like a rabbi was a teacher. And, and if, if somebody wanted to be a rabbi, which is a pretty sweet job, I mean, you don't have to be a fisherman. So if you wanted to do that, uh, you, you would, you'd, you'd go up to the rabbi. A young man would approach the rabbi if he wanted to follow him and ask him if he would be allowed to follow. Meaning Jesus has got this whole thing backwards. So, so either he skipped that seminary class on how to establish this rabbi-discipleship uh, relationship, or he's purposefully messing with tradition in order to teach us. Which one do you think it is? I think he knows what he's doing, right? Okay, so, so uh, typically an aspiring student would have to show some initiative, like, like I want to do this. And, and, and they'd also have to show some competence. Like, like they have the ability, they, they know, they demonstrate some knowledge of the Torah, the, the scriptures. They know their Bibles. They got some memory verses quoted. Like they got to they gotta demonstrate that they're really good students, kind of like entrance exams. Has anybody ever taken entrance exams? Man, that's like the, one of the most stressful things you can ever do in your entire life, right? I mean, you feel the pressure. Like if I don't get these true and false or, or multiple choice questions, if I fail this, it's going to change the trajectory of my life. And, and there's just sweat and there's pressure because I want to get in. I want to pass. And, and what's crazy is that, that Peter and Andrew, they didn't pass or prove anything. But Jesus comes to them and he says, I want you. And I want you to follow me. And normally a, a student a student's first allegiance was, was to the scriptures, not to, a, not to a rabbi. But Jesus is saying his, his call is grounded in his authority. That's it. He's the Christ. He's the son of God. And so he says, if you want to be disciples, then the way you're going to do that, you're going to learn by following me. Can we just take some encouragement here? Jesus wants you to be his disciple. And you don't have to qualify. You don't have to pass some test. And there's, there's no fear of getting cut or, or, or not making the roster because God might find somebody better and, and more impressive than you are. He starts with the everyday Joe fisherman. What he's trying to help you understand, he's not calling you because you're the best, you're the, you're the, you're the smartest, you got the most potential, you have a lot to offer. If Jesus chooses you, it's purely out of his grace. But I don't deserve that but he wants me to be his disciple. In fact, he's going to tell us that. Jesus tells us in John 15, 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So just be encouraged. Jesus wants you. And then let's get serious about following him. Because we're, the, 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 remember, the question is, who is Jesus? But, but that's not just some like intellectual or, or, or historical or, or theological pursuit for an answer. What it means is it's, it's for discipleship. That's why we want to know this. Because there's an expectation that as the person of Jesus is revealed to us in the pages of this gospel, that we're going we're, we're gonna to imitate him. We want to be like him. And so I love, this is, this is actually really good writing because what Mark has just done is he's made us have to pay attention for the rest of the book. I remember when I was a, when I was a, a youth pastor years ago in, in uh, Indiana, 
uh, we got at one point, we decided we, we, we joined up with some of the other churches in the area and, and we challenged all of our students to, to read through a gospel a week for the entire summer. And so the first week we started with Matthew and the next week it was Mark and then Luke and John. And then we went back to Matthew. We did that the entire summer. At the end of the time, if any of the students had accomplished that challenge, we got them all together at a camp for a weekend. And I got to tell you, it was some of the sweetest couple of days with these students because they, were, they couldn't talk about anything else but Jesus and everything that they had learned about him, some of the observations that he had seen. It was, it was fantastic. The reason that we did that is because one of my ministry partners said, you know, we, we, we talk about wanting to do what Jesus did, right? What, w- what would Jesus do? Anybody have the WWJD bracelets? You remember those? You know, anybody? Like, okay, I'm weird. I had one of those. So, so we, we, it's a really good question to ask. Like, I want to I do what Jesus would do in this situation. So what would Jesus do? The problem is, if we're only spending a little bit of time in the scriptures, we're asking, what would Jesus do? We don't know what Jesus did. And so what we're going to do, I think this is fantastic, as we get into this over the next year, we're going to be reading and studying this so that we know what he did. We're going to be watching Jesus. We're going to be listening to Jesus. And we're going to do what he says. And we're going to do what he does. When he, when he reacts this way, that's the way we want to react. When, when he responds, that's how we want to respond. When, what he pursues, that's what we want to pursue. Because we want to be like him. And so here's, here's what his disciples do. Look at, look at verse 18 again. Verse 18, here's how, they, here's how they respond. Here's how they follow. Immediately, it says, they left their nets and followed him. What, what did they do? What did they just say they, they did in order to follow him? They left their nets. That was their job. Now, don't get too excited. It doesn't mean like, sweet, quit my job. Going to, going to move to the beach. Just want to be like Jesus, right? Like, that's not what they're doing, okay? Why? Why is this happening? Well, well, it even gets crazier. Verse 19, they go on a little further, and they see James and John, and they're in a boat, and they're mending their nets. Verse 20, and immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servant, and followed him. Now that's not them getting out of chores, okay? Sorry, dad. Jesus is calling. Gotta go. Like, that's not what's happening. What he's saying, like, what he's helping us understand, these disciples were leaving their occupation and their family. And don't misapply this, okay? That doesn't mean you have to go put in your two weeks work notice at work today and like, I'm, I'm quitting my job. I'm moving out of the house. I'm leaving my family. That's not it. But he is identifying disciples. Disciples, here's what's going on here. Disciples have a fundamental shift in their priorities because following Jesus is now number one. That's the most important thing to me is I'm going to follow Jesus. And actually this kind of hits close to home because if they're leaving their occupation and their family, can we just say that here in North Virginia, oftentimes we find our identity in our occupation and our family, right? I mean, what's one of the first questions that you ask people when you meet them? You're, you're trying to, you're like, I'm Jeff. It's, it's good to meet you. So, so, so what do you, yeah, what do you do? What do you do for work? Because we find our identity in what we do. But here's the difference. See, disciples find their identity and their purpose in the gospel. And so if somebody came up to me and said, well, what do you, what do, you do? The best answer that I could give you is, well, I, I follow Jesus. That's what I do. Because he wants me to be his disciple. And I do that as a stay-at-home mom, or a soldier in the Navy, or a contractor with the government, or a manager in the office, or a small business owner. That's, like, like, that's my job, but 
It's not who I am. Who I am is I'm a, I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what I do. And so the gospel changes my identity, and then it changes how I make decisions. I mean, just look at Peter and Andrew and James and John. Like one minute, that's, that's what they're into, and, and now all of a sudden they're changing direction, changing their decisions based on who they are in Christ. Can I just say, like, I think that that right there would press on us and, and, and really cause us to ask this question and, and answer honestly, what, would you choose your career or your family over Jesus? Do you? Like, I know what, what's, what's most important and, and what's, what's number one, what, what our values are, really drives our decision-making. And I realize that for many of you, the government decides where you're going to live and what you're going to do. But when, you, when you're making decisions about uh, your career, where you're going to live, um, how you spend your time, what you, what you sign your kids up for, what, what, what you buy, how you spend your money, when you make those decisions, if you want to follow Jesus, then he can't be just a factor. The gospel grips our heart so that we see his glory and we know he's it. He is the top priority. He's the first thing that I'm thinking about when I'm making decisions. And so if I got to be honest with you, if you're, if you're cutting out Jesus and time with his church because you, like, I got to climb that corporate ladder and that's just what I got to do. And, and man, work's just got me all swamped right now. Or, or I, man, I don't have time for that because, you know, family comes first, then, then what the scriptures are telling you right now is you need a heart check. Because are you really following Jesus? Is he your king? Do you love him more than anything else? So I, I, can I just tell you, like, do your work and do it well. Enjoy your family and, and, and lead them well. Like, but, but the goal can't be just career advancement so that I'll get more money or so that I'll have more prestige or, or, or so that I'll like, en enhance my comfort and, and chase this American dream. Disciples who are interested in following Jesus are constantly and, and always asking, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What, what, do, what do you want me to do? which actually leads us to the third mark of discipleship. Because not only do disciples follow, but disciples fish. Let's look at what he said in verse 17. He said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus is not, uh, that's not being like cute or clever. He's not like, you see what I did there? They're fishermen. So I, it's, not, it's not what's going on. What he's doing is he's trying to help them understand, I've got a new job for you. i got something way better than just working so that you get more money so that you can spend it on you and your family. i got a bigger purpose for you. I'm, I'm going to get you on mission. And he uses this, this imagery that, that they would understand because here's what's going on as, as, as fishermen. They'd have this, these big old nets, right? Big net, and, and it's got some like weights on the outside, and they'd stand in the boat, and they'd take this in their arm, and they'd kind of throw it in this circular motion. It spreads out all over the water. As it sinks down, it collects fish. Then the fishermen would like dive in. They'd swim down and grab it and drag it to shore. So what Jesus is saying is do that, but with people. Follow me, and then get, go get more people to follow me. Let's not make it too complicated. Jesus wants you to be his disciple. And disciples are constantly thinking 
about how they can reach more people for Jesus. Is that on your radar? You thinking about that? If you know a fisherman, I, I don't really, and I'm not talking like a professional fisherman, but somebody who likes to fish, you know that like fishermen are always looking for a good spot to fish, right? And they're not going to tell you where they're good, but like, that's like a secret, right? If, you, if they tell you that, it might be because they're trying to, never mind. So like, it's, it, what they really want to do is they want to find a really good spot. Like, that's mine. I'm going there. Nobody else. Like, this is a really good spot to fish. So I, I just wonder, like, do you think about that when you're pulling into the parking lot at work? When you're walking into your desk in your office and you're walking by all those people? When, when you're pulling into the parking, in, in, into your driveway at home, walking through your neighborhood. And let's be honest, we have a lot of people we live next to, right? There's a lot of people there. Or even, even walking into your home. Are you thinking, this is a good spot to go fishing? God wants you to be fishing where you're at right now. And I tell you, like, you probably don't need to change jobs. Jesus is trying to tell you he's got something way better than what you're doing to live for. But you don't need to change jobs. I know that many of you have, you, know, you probably haven't been uh, gifted or called to preach God's word. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you, uh, that, that God would move you onto that. He would want you to do that. But most of you are doing what you're good at. And you should. You just keep doing that. Because all of us have been called to, one, do our work for the glory of God. Do, do what you do. God made you to do that, and you're really good at it. So do it and bless other people and do it in a way that's pleasing to God. But then we've also all been called to make disciples. So I love how, how J.D. Greer has really challenged his church. Here's what he says. He says, whatever you're good at, do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Love that. Like, what if we did that? What if we all just got this down? Like, you are going to have opportunities that I don't have because of what you can do and where you can work. I, I ain't getting that job. I was talking to one of you, like, doing chemistry. Like, I couldn't do that. But God has gifted you. He's going to put you in a place that I can't go. And, and maybe, maybe he's going to ask you to, like, move down the shoreline. I got somewhere else for you to fish. And, and I'm going to tell you, we are so serious about taking the gospel to the nations. And there are people that have never heard the name of Jesus. They don't have the scriptures. They need the gospel. And so maybe God would say, I'm going to move you. I want you to go. Maybe God would say to you, like, I'm not asking you to be a pastor. I'm not asking you to, you, you to be a preacher or anything like that. But I do. You're, you're really good at making money. You're really good at what you do. You could get a job over there. Why don't you go with that church planter? Let's go to that city. We need to plant a new church over there. God may send you to do that. He may send you down the shoreline. But I bet you that most of you are probably right where God wants you. And what he's trying to help you understand is this is a really good spot to go fishing. What I want you to be doing is make disciples here who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Don't break the chain and call yourself a disciple. Because disciples fish. This is what we do. I know we talk about evangelism a lot in our church. And, and well, it's because it's in the Bible. But it's also because I, I think, um, if we're just honest, it's really easy to stop talking about Jesus, isn't it? 
it's easier for us to just like go with the excuses and, and, and not take every opportunity to open our mouth and to tell people that they need Jesus. You feel that? Like this is one of those pillars. Like this is important to us that we're unafraid witnesses. We're sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. This is one of the pillars that we're constantly chasing because it's easy to let go. I want to give you a little bit of encouragement from the text right there. Look at again, verse 17. He said, follow me and I will, watch this, make you become fishers of men. Jesus is going to go to work in us and he's going to help us grow in this area. Have you asked Christ to help you go fishing at work? In your In your neighborhood? Your family. Disciples put their faith in Jesus, even in the face of persecution. And they follow him. And they get busy fishing. So that other people will put their faith in him. And follow him. And help us in the fishing. And if we're all doing this, then we'll be doing what God has asked us to do as a church. And guess what? He gets the glory for that. Father, thank you so much for using us. Thank you that you would call us. You'd call us all. Maybe we're not going to be vocational missionaries that you're going to send to Africa or some remote place of the earth. Maybe you would. Maybe we've never really thought about our jobs as something that is worthwhile, that can bless other people. And I could use that, what I do, to leverage my life for the Great Commission. I pray that you would make us a church that is so serious about getting after what you've called us to do. I pray that we'd be faithful to it. But not only that, Lord, I'm praying that we would see fruit. You said this, that my Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit. So God, I pray that we would be a people who follow you, who are constantly thinking about, man, man, this might be a great place for me to go fishing. Lord, we would have a desire to see others come to know you and love you. God, would you use us in that? Not for us, but so that you would get the glory. Lord, we desire to be a church that is accomplishing this mission. I pray that you'd even help us. Help us become fishers of men. And we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name.